Richard as Kate Milafolchik at Tripcast, Larive Hamilton. That was Irish for hello and a warm welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast from me, Adrian Farrell, Consul General of Ireland and Texas. And now, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tripcast for the third week of November. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hello. And reporter Aman Bathija. How do you say hello in Gaelic? That is a Reeve for the should philosophers. know because Reeve took a Gaelic poetry class once where I hear they said hello often. And learned nothing oh. apparently. <laughs> Our conversations before we start recording are not are like sort of for for your ears only. Or they were. Unless we share them yeah, when the mics are until open. Now. Right, right. Uh, let's let's move on quickly since I don't remember any of my lessons learned from that class. Uh, shall we shall we uh dive into the thrilling speakers race? Absolutely. Doesn't seem to be much of a race anymore. Are you going to declare it over? Is it safe to declare it over? Amon is declaring. <laughs> the, the Spotify thing on this ought to be the thrill is gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm yeah. going to use that. Yeah, go for it. As of this morning, 35 Republican House members have publicly pledged to Strauss. And that's not actually counting Strauss, so technically 36. And This is incumbent Speaker Joe Strauss? Yes. And Republican of San Antonio. <laughs> How do you do footnotes in Gaelic? <laughs> <laughs> well, and there are 52 Democrats, and the thinking is most, if not all of them, would back Strauss over Turner. And he only needs 76 to win, and that puts him over 80 easily. So, yeah, it seems pretty much over unless Turner can convince a whole lot of members to switch sides. Yeah, the theory here is that the Democrats are already holding their nose some to vote for a Republican speaker and are unlikely to vote for an even more conservative one. I would, and I would imagine as more people come out in support of Strauss, that makes it more likely that more people will come out in support of Strauss. I mean, that's what we've seen in the last. That's what we've seen in the last week. It's sort of been a trickle out. You know, there I think there were what a handful who came out, and then another dozen, and then you know a few more after that. And so it's just sort of you know he's either Strauss is either behind the scenes going out and and working these folks, you know, and expecting sort of this trickle out effect, uh, or they're all just sort of getting on the bandwagon. It wasn't a huge trickle out. I mean, it was sort of in the last week. There's been this like well, but there was a so there've been these whisperings for a long time that the speaker was going to face a very very concerted, loud, maybe expensive campaign against him after the elections were over, that the as soon as we were out of the November elections, that you know the speaker's race would be front and center between now and January 13th when the legislature starts. And then a lot of these third-party groups were going to put a lot of money into it and try to whip the House into you know going for Turner or if the numbers showed up, you know maybe somebody else other than Strauss. So Strauss wants to get in front of this, and, and I think he probably does have something to do with trickling these out. Get the, you know, speakers' races are all about momentum and all about the mystery of who does or does not have 76 votes. So he's getting rid of the mystery and building the momentum all at the same time. And some of the conservative groups like Empower Texans have said, you know, they're going to score this vote on their scorecards, and it's, it's going to hurt you if you vote for Strauss. But Harvey Kromberg had a really interesting uh, post on Quorum Report where he argued that if you're already voting for Strauss, and you know it's going to hurt you in the scorecards. It almost kind of liberates you the rest of the session to just do what you want to do and not think too much about what these groups are lobbying for because 
you already know you're going to probably get a bad grade. Although, are you going to get a bad grade just for voting for Strauss, or is it the you know is that one strike against you among many over the course of the session? I've heard. Right, s- is it the difference between yeah, is like this an A minus versus or is an F? A, right. I, I know because that, that would have dramatically altered my approach to that Gaelic poetry class. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get Fs or anything, but I think there is. I've heard from some members the feeling that it, that vote might get scored. Uh, more strongly than just a vote on an amendment to a bill that they find out that day is going to be part of the scorecard. Now, Scott Turner has said uh, he's going to take it all the way to, you know, a floor vote unquestionably, correct? And so, you know, but at the end of the day, how many folks are we looking at who may be standing with him? Well, the part of the threat here was, you know, we're going to force a public vote on this and force all of you people that are supporting Strauss into showing yourselves. And now it has flipped it flipped pretty quickly where the Strauss people are saying, yeah, we are going to have a public vote and you're going to show yourself. And so, you know, the or else here, you know, the groups outside that were saying, you know, vote against Strauss or else, their threat is spent on the first day of the session. And, you know, what are they going to hold over their heads from there on out? I mean, I, I, I think this does a couple of things for Strauss. A, he becomes the speaker again. B, he flushes out the, you know, the hardcore enemies, you know, mm-hmm. the people that are really, really mm-hmm. against him. And C, it completely emasculates the groups that are against him. They're entering the session with no clout. Well, and that's Strauss's it, – it, that seems like the goal with all of this, right? Right. And Strauss was at some public event yesterday in San Antonio, and Peggy uh, – I think it was Peggy Fikak wrote about it, uh, where he even said he feels like these groups that are trying to intimidate members just can't – there's a ceiling for them. They can't, they, can't, they can't keep growing because too many members just get turned off by that approach. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be kind of – Almost declaring victory at this point, I think. And is is it a done deal? Obviously, these coming out and saying you're going to vote for him is not necessarily a binding thing. People right, we've seen switcheroos in the past. Switch that in the past. Could someone else, some non-Turner, come out and and suddenly shake things up in a way that we're not expecting? You know, the thing about this is that the Strauss is showing that he has the votes, not that Scott Turner does not. You know, if the if the House was looking at this, if you're looking at this as a House member and you're trying to figure out how do I land with the winner in this thing. If it was looking like, you know, there was a significant number or a significant section of the House that was willing to vote for a new speaker but not Scott Turner, then you might say, well, I need to find out who that is or maybe that's me, right? Maybe, you know, that's that's an opening for another candidate. This isn't presenting that way. This is presenting as votes for Strauss. So Strauss is coming in with a majority. No other candidate's going to walk into that. And Turner's out there alone, you know, basically risking his own supporters, Say, you know, if you support me. So so now it comes to Turner. And, you know, if, if it keeps to develop this way, if I'm Turner, I pull my name out so those guys don't have to vote. He's right. not completely alone. He has empowered Texans. Right. But you're basically putting, you know, however many people vote for you on the first day, if it's a if it's a losing race, why am I making them take a loss? But, you know, now that he's come out publicly and declared that he will, it would be a pretty big backtrack to say that he won't. It would not be unprecedented. <laughs> right. Especially in this chamber. So that's that feels pretty over. Basically. It does today, but there's you know, like you say, there's two months. There's you know Right. I mean there's still a lot of time left for funny business. Yeah. Right. You know, they, if they really, really want to mount a, a campaign against Strauss, you know, there then there'll be a you know, kind of a jack in the box thing, you know. What about this? What about this? What about this? What day Try how quickly does the speaker's it. race happen? January 13th, first, of the, first mm-hmm. day. The, the very first day. They come in, they take their oath, mm-hmm. they vote on the rules, they vote, elect a speaker, and then they go have you know birthday cake with their families. Who doesn't like birthday That's cake? Right. <laughs> well, one thing that is not over 
is the Rick Perry indictment saga. I thought you were going to make a trying to make a birthday cake transition, but I couldn't think of a good one. Well, that's why I didn't try to make <laughs> one. <laughs> right. One thing that is not over is the Rick Perry I saga. I just said that. Uh, there are, yeah, well, it was, I was for emphasis. <laughs> and now in Gaelic. <laughs> right. Uh, so the latest with the Rick Perry saga is that his attorneys – so he's been obviously indicted. He's facing a couple of counts. And uh, his attorneys are trying basically every sort of uh, procedural trick in the book to get this case thrown out or to stop it from proceeding. I think there are about three different challenges lined up in the sort of procedural realm. The first one was, well, this prosecutor who's prosecuting him is not qualified to do so because he took his oath of office out in the wrong order. And uh, so there was some, you know, ar- arguments around that. And then uh, this week the judge said, uh, yeah, maybe he did take them out of order, but that doesn't matter. And he can still, you know, stay on as the prosecutor in this case. The case can proceed. So uh, strike one. Uh, so now we sort of proceed into the next round of procedural arguments by Perry's attorneys uh, before we even get at the nuts and bolts of the case against him. Right. They're challenging, you know, they're challenging. First, you challenge the charges. And try to get this knocked down, and then if you have to, you go to court on the or go to trial on the charges. I mean, this is like you know, you didn't say Simon says. It's like getting off on a technicality. But if you're the governor, getting off is the important part of that sentence. Yeah, getting, it's like points of order in the legislature. It's like you know, well, we're not before we even debate the merits of this case, we're going to try to kill it based on a technicality. Right. So but that's this, where we are. If, if, each technicality drags out the way this one is dragged out. This thing could go on forever. Oh, and how it horrible will. is that? Horrible for Perry. I mean, obviously, when the indictment first happened, he's raised some money on it. I think. I mean, I think that this will drag on and on. This was. It, it's also going to force Perry to be in the courtroom more, which is interesting. You know, he didn't. He hadn't had to actually be in court until this particular um, until this particular challenge. So each one of these challenges is likely going to require him to again walk into a courtroom, walk out of a courtroom, you know, through the sort of slew of cameras, light bulbs flashing, you know, the sort of uh, th- that's going to continue to be sort of the public image that's seen. Now, he's also spending a lot of time not in Texas. He's at the Republican Governors Association uh, meeting in Florida right now. Um, you know, he's been out on the road. He's been international. He's putting out sort of, you know, policy statements every day that seem to have nothing to do with Texas. Uh, so I think he's trying to sort of keep the attention on him out of Texas as opposed to what's going on back home. I think it'll be tougher for him um, if this drags on next year. When he's no longer governor, it's going to be harder to create news that's not about this that, you know, national media is going to jump on. There's, right. There are more than a dozen Republican presidential possibility candidates right now. And the, those voters are looking for, you know, just get us down to the final three. And if the indictment's in the sentence with your name in it. It's easy not to let you into the finals. I mean, he at, at the point that he's in a competitive political race, just the fact that he's been indicted, whether you think he's um, guilty or not, is going to be a disqualifier. Yeah, I do think a lot of people are going to look at these particular charges, though, and be like, this guy was trying to oust a drunken driving, you know, chief prosecutor who wouldn't step down. I mean, I do think people look at the sort of facts of this case. Um, I I don't disagree with that. But if I'm another Republican candidate, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, you know, do we really want a governor, even if he's right, going through a trial while he's trying to beat the Democrats or Hillary Clinton or whoever it is in a a presidential race? No, exactly. I mean, nobody becomes president, I don't think, with something like this looming over their heads. But it doesn't mean he can't continue to run for a while. The question is, who gives money to a candidate who's facing those kinds of charges? And and would they give him money anyway without the governor's mansion? Right. You know, since he's out of office. Right. 
Well, and imagine he. I mean, he. Oh, that's a good point. You know, the the sort of enthusiasm to come to his defense initially was from people that are pretty plugged in and paying attention now. Whereas as you get closer to election time and you're trying to bring in people that are not quite as super engaged all the time, that might be a tougher sell. If you just have this sort of detailless notion of an indictment hanging over his head. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I guess stay tuned for that. Will we have more on that before the holidays, or is this wait until 2015? I, I mean, I would be surprised if there were any other decisions that were made pre-holidays. But, you know, I, I think there are always some sort of – some of these little procedural things could keep working their way through the system. You know, it may be that we know before the end of the year when the, when the trial date is. Mm-hmm. You know, we might, you know – not certainly, but we, it, it's possible they'll finish the haranguing over the indictments themselves. Well, one thing of Perry's as he leaves the governor's mansion that I think is about to get a closer look is his Texas Enterprise Fund and sort of incentive deals for, for businesses moving here. And Amon took a look at those sorts of programs here and in Texas. Here, not here and in Texas, here in California. Yes. Uh, in California, they've been trying to kind of beef up their enter- their incentive programs so they could compete more. With uh, Texas. <laughs> yes, with Texas mostly and with, with a lot of other states uh, that have better incentives than California. And uh, in August, they tweaked uh, the regulations. The governor's office tweaked the regulations to their biggest uh, incentive program. It's called California Competes and said that uh, if you're a business applying for this incentives, if you hired some sort of consultant to help you through the application process, you can't give them a cut of the incentive you you can't it's, it can't be a performance paced pay where if you get five million they get ten percent of that or or whatever and uh, could you get a set amount yes you, you can you can pay a consultant mm-hmm. it just can't be it, it just can't be contingent on the based uh, on the size of the contract right the right and uh, also you have to make public uh, when you apply how how you're paying the consultant uh, and Brent Ryan who is uh, runs uh, Dallas based Ryan LLC it's one of the biggest site selection consultant firms in the country uh, and represents a lot of the companies that get incentives in Texas and also in California, they immediately sued California and said that's unconstitutional under the California Constitution. And it's also just unfair because smaller companies especially often don't have the money to pay pay, pay a consultant. They, they need this performance-based kind of setup so that they can hire a consultant. Uh, and what's interesting is just how California is really trying to take a stand on this issue and saying that we think performance-based fees and the setups are kind of wrong in that this is taxpayer money going to a company to convince them to come to our state and create jobs, and now you're going to just give a, a chunk of it to some firm that had nothing to do with it. Uh, but in Texas, that is, there's no, that, that's not going to change at all. Uh, there's, uh, there's a legislative committee looking at economic incentives, and this issue hasn't come up once. Uh, I checked with uh, Angie Chen Button, who was heading that committee, and she said, "State representative, right? Thank you." And uh, she said that she she it sounds like California is micromanaging uh, companies and telling them how to run their business, and we have no plans to do that. Well, I, oh, sorry, I mean, they are jumping into you know talking about these funds. It could it could pretty it presents itself as an easy amendment. I mean, they're talking about whether they're going to keep having these incentive funds at all. Um, Greg Abbott has said he didn't want to be in the business of picking winners and losers, um, but hadn't completely ruled it out. Joe Strauss has said, you know, maybe we ought to shrink it, but we ought to have these kinds of funds. I think Dan Patrick has said... He seems to have been the strongest to suggest that he wouldn't be opposed to maybe getting getting rid of them Mm -hmm. altogether. Uh, You know, 
they need the money for stuff like National Guard troops on the border. I mean, honestly, they're spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on that, and it's an easy shift in the budget. Um, and it opens the door to, I mean, this anything with this fund is uh, sort of fueled allegations or insinuations of sort of cronyism and stuff right, in the capital. scratching. Especially right. when you have a payment structure like that where, you know, well-connected people are getting a cut of the taxpayer-funded incentive. Well, it, it is – problematic to tell a company how it can spend its money. You know, if I've, if I've got a company and Texas is trying to, and I'm trying to relocate my business, um, if, I, if I'm paying my consultants and, you know, does it matter if I pay them out of the state incentive funds or out of my own funds? I mean, uh, these guys will figure out a way to get Right. I was going to say, I mean, it seems like that it all comes back to the same source of money eventually, right? <laughs> right? You know, if you know that you're paying your consultant X amount, you're going to, you know, ask for a bigger incentive pot from the state. So... Right. Uh, at the same time, in the past few years, so much talk about the Texas miracle has been around these companies that Perry has touted as we gave them money and they moved here. And especially with a whole new state leadership, I'd imagine there'll be concerns that if we get rid of this programs, are we undercutting right. the Texas miracle? Or if the economy goes bad in Texas after that, are they going to blame us because we got rid of these programs? Right. right. Or if it keeps going. Well, then I, that's good news for them. Yeah. <laughs> if it keeps going, it's good. I mean, but I think there's a there. I think there's probably a little phobia that they do away with some of the stuff. You know, the growth shrinks, and then everybody just gets to say, "Well, under Rick Perry, this didn't happen." You know, right? What's wrong with you, Republicans? In the meantime, should, if the do the changes to California competes, you know, if those end up sticking. Uh, Seems like it's only going to make it better is that, for Texas. Is that great for Texas? Does, oh, come on along. All the consultants funnel their business here. Well, and that is that is uh, an issue that a lot of the critics of these type of setups have brought up, that it incentivizes a consultant to go tell, tell companies to move their business to the place where they'll get the biggest uh, commission. Yeah, but the state that wants that company to come is paying for that to happen. So that's kind of in their interest. That's true, yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm paying, you know, if, if you know, the Mombathija consulting firm is going to make a bunch of money if they if that company moves to Texas and they're getting a cut of it. If I'm Texas, I'm sort of interested in I'm the same thing that Mombathija is interested in. <laughs> Please don't give Mombathija any ideas, <laughs> any outside employment opportunities. If I'm starting a consulting firm, I'm getting a much better name. It'll be in Gaelic. Right. That's right. <laughs> well, anything else to say about uh, incentives? I, I, think all of, I, I, I just think all of those, to move on. All, all of those <laughs> funds are in trouble. You know, I don't know that we're ever going to get to the consultant question in Texas. The funds themselves are in trouble. Well, and you just had that uh, – the auditor's report was not too rosy on it. It was it not too out. rosy. That's right. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> someone filled in Anti- exactly what not too rosy Anti-rosy. Means. Well, uh, there were a lot of problems in the auditor's report. The, the one that got the most attention was that a lot of companies got incentives without officially applying. But that was very early on in the program, about a decade ago, when technically the rules didn't require an application. Technically, there weren't rules. <laughs> yes. but there the were big, applications. I, th- I think the bigger problem is that uh, the audit found that very often the governor's office um, changed the, the, the goalposts. The benchmarks, Right. right. And and also that there weren't clear guidelines of you know what is a full time job, uh, what job qualifies as counting uh, towards the incentive. It was kind of wishy washy at times. So there were there there have been a lot of concerns that a lot of companies were getting money and didn't really meet uh, the yeah original terms. Like yeah. they were supposed to provide X thousand jobs and and that was the benchmark or the goalpost. And then suddenly the rules changed and they were only supposed to provide. X minus 5,000 jobs. So those are problems that could be buttoned up, but keeping the program around. I'd be really surprised if a lot of the issues brought up in the audit aren't addressed this session. 
All right. And the people that will be addressing them, we are still sort of figuring out who those people yeah. are. The chess pieces just like keep moving and moving in the legislature. I, I love this. So you get, you know, one that hadn't been talked about a whole lot is that the House elect, or the voters sent 98 Republicans to the House. That's too short of a supermajority. And I would imagine everybody on both sides pulled out the old Facebooks, you know, the ones that are on paper with little oval black and white pictures. You I ever, actually don't you ever know. heard of this? Yeah. Um, started looking at the conservative, most conservative members of the Democratic Party and the Democrats serving in the most conservative districts to see if there were one or two or three that the Republicans could get to change parties and, and make a supermajority. This is how they got a supermajority the last time they did this, after the 2010 elections. So I, I imagine those games are going on. But in any case, it's a it's a really stout Republican majority over there. And the House, you know, assuming Strauss is safe, is actually sort of in position to be the experienced hand in the legislature mm-hmm. this time. The Senate has six new members from two years ago. This year they get at least eight new members. If Letitia Vandepute runs for mayor and is replaced, that's nine new members. So half the Senate's new. With a new lieutenant governor, that's, you know— if nothing else, it's a little destabilizing. It's more oh. conservative. It's a little bit more Republican. Um, and I think they're going to be a little behind the eight ball to start. Well, let's dive into some of the new people. Will be Obviously, so Hager, Glenn Hager, who was a Republican senator from Katy, just resigned his seat to go be the comptroller. Mm-hmm. Right. Who is going to replace him? Do we know for sure? Oh, it's a three-way race right now. Gary Gates, who ran against Hager a couple of times, Lois Kolkhorst, uh, state representative from Brenham. And um, who's basically started running before Hagar even, you know, was elected. Comptroller. Well, both of those two, mm-hmm. um, Gates and Colcourse, were running TV ads before the elections, mm-hmm. which, you know, was sort of irritating, I think, to the incumbent. But look, and how, Charles, Charles look Gregory, how good they are at forecasting. Yeah. Does that not speak in their favor? <laughs> and, then, right. and then Charles Gregory uh, is the third. He uh, runs a trash business, independent businessman. He's been a local um, party official. I don't think he's run for state office before. Um for someone like Kolkhorst, is this a free shot, or does she have to give up her seat? No, it's a freebie. So if she if she wins the race, she's a senator. If she loses, she's still in the House. It's not a bad way to and be. If she, and if she wins and takes the Senate seat, then that sets up another election right. for her seat. Are if people Le- already running ads for that one? Not yet. Uh, if Letitia Vandepute um, decides to run for mayor, then that opens her seat. There are at least two House members talking about it, Jose Menendez and Trey Martinez-Fisher. I don't know whether either one would run, but— could open up one of those. Could open one of those. It just never ends. If she won the mayor's race and Mike Villarreal, who's a state rep, lost, he could run for the Senate. It goes on and on and on. Maybe San Antonio in particular may be voting. So he could run. That's interesting. So he could run for, they could basically just switch. He sent the state a letter that said he's not going to take the seat that he just, right after the election, he gets elected to a new term in the House. He sends the state a letter that says, I'm not going to take the oath in January because I'm going to run for mayor. And then Vandepute starts thinking about it. Okay, so now it shapes up at the moment as maybe a race between those two. But and so the if ma- she loses, race she's in the Senate. Still. Happens first. Yeah, probably. So you know, she was, could be elected mayor, and then if he loses the mayor's race, he could run for that Senate seat with TM with right. Trey Martinez Fisher and, if and she, Menendez. And if she loses the race for mayor, he's the mayor, and she gets to go back to the Senate. Right. Just so much. She fun. gets to go back to the Senate. Yeah, she's still a senator. So who's running for Mike Villarreal's seat? Uh, nobody yet because the seat's not vacant until January. Fascinating. He's still the state rep in his current term until January, but sent the governor a letter that said, I'm not going to take the oath for the new term that I just won 
So basically, so don't, we don't need a pro, rely. We need a yeah. program guy. So basically, this, don't we? rely on the Texas Tribune's legislative directory until about March. We should just have some. We should just have some. You know, it's it's ninety eight percent correct. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So, but can they not? Uh, can they not set a special election until after he's actually left the seat? I think they can. I, I I need to check with the Secretary of State on this. They haven't canvassed the vote yet, so the votes for November are not yet official. And until you canvass those votes, you can't do anything. I, I don't know whether they can call a special election on the knowledge based on his letter that he's not going to run again. It's also possible that, you know, he and Vandepute could talk. She says, I'm going to run for mayor. He says, for whatever reason, okay, I'm going to get out of the way. Calls the governor, says, send that letter back. I'm taking my seat. Hmm. Yeah, I think he needs to can you do actually... That? Yep. I think he needs to actually give a resignation date before they can call a special election. Well, he hasn't resigned. He right. said he's not going to take the oath for the new term. So, so I feel he like could. He could. Can't be well, you know. It, until then, um, why so. even bother sending the letter in the first place? Then, if it to doesn't signal start. everybody in San Antonio mm-hmm. that no, really, really, I'm running, and to oh. send and to send Vandepute a note, basically through the governor's office, says no, really, really, I'm running. <laughs> so, how tough is that Cole Corst? Is that race with Cole Corst and Gates and Gregory? You got bored with San Antonio, huh? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm moving on. Uh, I mean, it sounds like that's a pretty great Cole, shot for her. Colehorst has the establishment money mm-hmm. or looks like she will. She's claiming um, although they haven't actually done this yet she sent out a press release saying that Hager's going to endorse her. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. I believe today. Yeah, I thought it was. It's at a yes. campaign event today. He's going to be there and but Hager's camp says there's no been no formal endorsement yet but wow. So by the time you so, hear this you right. can go to the so Tribune to the extent, and you'll know. <laughs> so to the extent that that matters I mean you know the, the question it's not really knocking Hager, but, you know, does an endorsement matter in a race like that? Gates has a lot of money. He spent upwards of a million dollars in a couple of races against Hager already. Um, Charles Gregory can spend some money on this, too. So, you know, I think this this could be a noisy race, and it's going to be a really low turnout. Um, Colcourse lives in Brenham. That's not the population center for this district. Fort Bend County is. So, you know, I think it's I think it could actually be a race. Mm-hmm. She's, probably the- The, she's probably the safest bet, but there's not really mm-hmm. a safe bet. It wasn't that long ago. It was just a couple sessions ago that the best, the biggest thing you knew about Hager was that he filed all those horse meat bills. <laughs> Are you s- speaking for yourself? I, I think she is, right? <laughs> what horse meat bills? <laughs> so but the, for Hager's seat, though, when it will be decided by the time we get to... It's session. possible that they could have, you know, it's possible that they could have somebody in place... You know, certainly by the end of January and maybe for the first day. It's a December 6th. I think it's a December 6th election. So that's two and a half weeks from now. And you don't have the long distance between elections required by the Federal Move Act in state races. There's not a federal race, so you don't have those seven weeks Mm -hmm. between these two things. You could have a runoff if one is necessary before the legislature. Just that afternoon. Really? Well, (laughs) you got to wait a little bit. But but before the legislature really is up and running. But how bad is it? I mean, how much does it matter? No, no, no. I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, then I won't even bother finishing the question. <laughs> no, how bad is it for San Antonio? If, so I guess, say, Vanderpute wins the mayor's race, leaving that open Senate seat. How bad is it if they don't have representation in, the, in that Senate seat for a decent chunk of the session? Well, you know, there's a question here. So it, it depends on how busy the race is. If Vanderpute, um, if Vanderpute resigns to run, then they can do the same thing um, – they can do an accelerated election. I don't think it's as accelerated as the Hager one, but they can do an accelerated election and get about the business of filling her seat. If she doesn't resign to run, 
and has a really busy race, then San Antonio will go partly unrepresented down here. And I would imagine that her opponents spend a lot of time in that race talking about all the votes she hasn't taken in Austin. If she's the only real candidate and can spend a lot of her time during the mayor's race actually down here representing the district, then you know, not, not much lost there. So I get, you, you probably get this every election cycle, but is this particularly batty, all this bouncing around and sort of uh, cascading post-election elections? N- not really. I mean, you know, this is – it does happen almost every cycle. There, there's two or three seats. It's unusual that it's people um, in the positions like this. You know, it's often – often you get people as – House members that aren't really that important to, you know, whatever the issue of the day is. Um, but – you know, this is a chair in the House running for something to replace a chair in the Senate. Letitia Vandeput's an important member of the Senate. You know, these are players. Yeah, this is higher profile. I mean, I think this happens every session, but I think this is higher profile just because it started all the way at the top. And, you know, the having a governor who's who's stepping out and an attorney general who's stepping out and a lieutenant governor who's, well, on the way out. <laughs> well, and you have these people playing out these long contingency plans. I mean, you right. know, if you're Letitia Vandepute and it's a year ago and you're thinking about do I run for lieutenant governor or not, it's like, well, if I run for lieutenant governor and I win, I get the corner office. And if I don't, I'm still a state senator. And then the mayor gets plucked out of office by the federal government, put on the cabinet. And now this new thing opens up and you say, well, if I don't win the lieutenant governor's job and then I have the option of being mayor or senator. I mean, she keeps having these doors open. Um, that's unusual. Well, if anyone out there would like to say declare, something unusual, say something unusual, <laughs> declare candidacy for any of these seats that are coming open, uh, or just have any questions or comments, you can send them to tripcast at texastribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs, as always, for doing our music. On behalf of Emily, Ross, Aman, and our producer, Todd, anyone have any final words? No? This is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Fancy. Fancy. I'm so I think Todd's fancy. ready for us to start. <laughs>